Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Artificial Lures for Citation Redfish, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Andy Bates of Captain Bates Fishing Charters, and we're going to be talking about such topics as the life cycle of the Pamlico Reds, how to find them, techniques for catching, fish handling, and fish etiquette. So a lot to cover. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest and greatest, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, ask them to share with us their knowledge, their insights, their thoughts on how to catch more fish more often, albeit the higher goal, the more loftier goal, is for you to grab your family and friends and get out on the water spending more time together more often. I am joined in this endeavor, in this episode, just as I have in every episode, my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, it's time to do another show. Gary, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited to have Andy back on the show. His first show was awesome that he came on and educated us so if you guys uh be sure to go check that out go look at our youtube channel go ch- whatever search through apple Podcasts or spotify or all those places that we're on and go check out that episode really good so i know we got a lot to do so i'm gonna go ahead and shout out to our sponsors play this video from marine warehouse center we'll be right back okay at marine warehouse we have everything we have new boats we have parts we have accessories new trailers we have a complete service department with highly trained technicians anything you need to get out on the water we have at Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Awesome, man. They are. <laughs> awesome. Looking good, good commercial, good looking boats. They want to sell you a boat, and you know what? And I'm saying you in general. I'm not saying you, Billy Thorpe. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, I'm saying you yeah. in general. And you should go buy a boat from Marine Warehouse Center. Life is short. Go ahead. Get a home equity line. Get another credit card. <laughs> just put it out there, man. Just get out there. Life is short, man. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. Just go buy a boat. Have fun. Do some fishing. That's listen, right. Listen to some jokes. Fishing and family fun on the water, just like their commercial said, man. Um, their jokes. I heard that segue. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Terrell's still giving me oh the jokes? Oh, my God. Apparently, it is still a thing. Apparently, it is. Right. Terrell texted me late. He texted me late last night saying, hey, man, almost forgot. No, you're doing a podcast tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, all right, Terrell, it's 10, 15 p.m., but okay, man, let me hear the joke. Are you ready, Billy? I'm ready. And to be clear, this is Terrell's joke. This is not Gary's joke. All right. I'll take your word for it. What do you call a fish that doesn't believe in violence? Mm, I don't know. A pacifist. <laughs> you laugh at that, that was one. A pretty good one. I am not that good at gauging good. which one you're gonna that laugh was good. at. All right. Yeah, that was really Terrell. good. Hey Terrell, text Billy at ten fifteen at night and tell him your jokes. <laughs> Terrell, are you watching? Are you watching this podcast? Terrell doesn't watch this podcast. 
I'm going to give you he Billy's phone number, him. cell number, right after this podcast. <laughs> I'll just give it right now. Nine one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, dude, speaking of buying me something, um, I think we missed this in the, our last show, but I want to remind people they can buy us a coffee if they would like to. Uh, so you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post, and you can buy Gary and I a cup of joe. There you go. There's the Buy Me a Coffee logo. And uh, make some show suggestions. Give us a little feedback. We love feedback. Let us know uh, if we've, if Terrell's told too many jokes. <laughs> we'll see if he'll tell us something else. No. Man, I had a uh, <laughs> tournament registration, and one of my tournament anglers said, man, I got a problem with your uh, buy me a coffee feature. Oh, they did. They did. You know what they- the problem was? I never see you guys drinking any coffee on the show. Why would I buy you <laughs> coffee if I never see you? And I'm like, uh. Here we go. Look I at got that. It. Look at that. And you promise there's coffee in there. I'm, there's has been coffee in here. I promise there has <laughs> been a coffee. Great answer. That's Absolutely. A politician. You know what? There is no coffee in there. You know why, Gary? Because no one's bought me any coffee. That's why it's empty. <laughs> Buy me coffee. I hope you don't fall asleep <laughs> yeah. during the podcast. <laughs> Droll just coming down the microphone. <laughs> well, look. I also hope you don't fall asleep. Well, wait a second. Before, I'm, I'm jumping the fish photo, man. Oh, yeah. I forget all about the fish photo. Well, let's see if we can find the fish photo. All right. We got Shane Brown and Richard Austin with a pair of red drum that both fell for a cut bait while fishing off of Yappin Reef. A good looking fish right there. <laughs> it is, man. We enjoy the fish photos. So, yeah, buy us coffee, send us fish photos. Heck, just do the podcast for us, and you know we'll just stand by. I, you know, what else are we going to hand off? <laughs> yeah, right. Just do it all. We're excited. <laughs> all right, Billy, drink your coffee. Don't fall asleep. Pay attention to Andy because I'm coming to you for Billy's best takeaway. All right, man. Taking notes. I got my notebook. Let's right, go. Billy's best takeaway. But right now, I'm welcoming to the show. Back to the show, Captain Andy Bates of Captain Bates Fishing Charters. And we're going to be talking about artificial lures for citation redfish. Andy, so good to have you back on the podcast studio. Good to see you, Gary. Yeah, man. Always enjoy talking fishing with you, whether it's in podcasts, whether it's on the boat. Man, I, I enjoy your style. You have passion for your species. You're always trying to learn. And this is sincere praise right here, man. I, I get to hang out with a lot of guides, and I like your style, and I'm enjoying having you back on the show. But even though I like you and even though I'm praising you, there's still a tradition on this show where you got to answer two questions. And so, Andy, are you ready for your two questions? Yep. You sound excited. (laughs) Andy, in spite of my praise, why the heck would anyone listen to what you have to say about a big red drum? Well, I appreciate appreciate the praise, Gary. But uh, So for the last handful of years, I don't know, three or four years, I've solely dedicated that time of year to uh the which is the late summer early fall for in our area for the big drum the lower news pamico sound you know that's my what i have made my bread and butter and i've learned from the best uh captain gary duell uh who pretty much pioneered this and just has took me under his wing and taught me everything but yeah that time of year i just i i dedicate I mean, we'll do a little trout and a little puppy drum fishing at that time of year, but I'm not switching back between the ocean and the big drum. That's what I'm, you know, good, bad, and ugly. That's where. I'm... All right. So the I I accept that answer. I think our audience accepts that answer, and we are eager. I mean, I fished with you for the big red drum, so I'm eager to hear what you have to say here in the podcast forum. 
But there is a second question, and as is the tradition, it is a non-fishing-related question. It's pretty easy. And so, again, I'm not saying that this is my most creative angle, but I looked at popping corks, and that made me think of popping pimples. Are you with me so far, Andy? We're going to be talking about popping pimples. Are you with me? With you. <laughs> I want you to guess. Man, again, the excitement is overwhelming. I want you to guess what is the most views of any of Dr. Pimple Popper's YouTube videos showing her popping pimples. I want you to guess at how many views her most watched pimple popping video got. 3.5 million. I'm going to say 5 million. And I'm going to laugh and scoff at both your answers. I just want you to realize how much more popular popping pimples is than popping corks. It's a whopping 45 million views. One video, 45. And so here we are trying to do noble how to oh fish. And we're going to get a few thousand. But if Andy were to pop a pimple, then maybe we would get a million. Mm. All right. Let's go to fishing. <laughs> Somebody buy Andy a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like, you know, most of these podcasts go who, what, where, when, but I like it. I like that you want to talk about just the life cycle of the Pamlico Reb because I think that's an education that we all want, even if we don't know we want it. So let's start it off with your first topic, man. Life cycle of the Pamlico Red. Yeah, so really not to the complete life cycle of the puppy or the redfish, um, but I figure if we're going to learn how to find a fish, learn how to catch a kid, catch the fish, first we need to kind of have a general idea of where they're going to be when, right? So essentially the Noose River Pamico Sound is the breeding, the spawning ground of most of our redfish in this area. Yeah, we, we some trade back and forth uh, further north and further south, but our redfish, I'm trying to decide if I want to start from when they're adults or when they're, uh, ha you know, when they're, when they're laid, but we'll just start with a mature redfish over uh, you know, 36 inches, I think is what they consider a mature redfish. They'll start getting to the spawning age. Once they start spawning, they're going to spawn on the inside for the most part in our area, the inside being, Noose River Pamico Sound. As those fish get a little bit older and they grow to the um, below slot size, a lot of them will stay in the Noose River Pamico Sound areas, the marshes inland. As they start getting to the, uh, they, uh, that's all year. So as, as they start getting to that slot size, 18 to 27 inch size, which is essentially a teenage fish, right? Uh, some of those, the majority of those fish in our area are going to winter in the ocean, right? So we'll, we'll the Noose River, Pamico Sound, uh, Middle Marsh, Corbanks, uh, that area will hold, that, that holds fish all year. However, the majority of them are going to go into the ocean and start a cycle where they're in the ocean in the winter time, uh, could be on the beach, could be, I think, you know, coldest part of the year, dead winter, they're more likely gonna be a little bit deeper as they get older, they'll be, you know, could be on the, the near shore wrecks, reefs, that kind of stuff. 
But essentially, they're in the ocean for the winter as the temps start warming up and we start getting into April. Uh, those fish will start migrating back in the inlets and into the marshes and the creeks throughout uh, the rest of the summer. By the time we get into mid, late May, we're looking at you know most of our juvenile redfish, less than spawning size, are going to be on the inshore waters in our area. The adult redfish, you know, we're talking upper 30s inches up, the spawning age fish, they're going to stay out in the ocean a little bit longer. Now, yes, you'll see and, you know, we'll catch and you'll see people catch. I wouldn't be surprised if an adult redfish could be caught in the Noose River almost all year long. None of this stuff is cut and dry, but everything that I'm going to try to teach is and talk about is uh, is the way that most most of it's going to be right. Uh, but but these fish don't they haven't read the rule books. They don't know, you know, what we think they should be doing. So things can come and go out of that. But as a whole, the adult redfish are going to stay in the ocean, um, and we can catch them out there. Um, pretty much, you know, October through May. The adult redfish, as we get in later into the summer, July, more of them will start kind of slowly making their way in up around Cedar Island, coming in that way towards the sound. Um, by the end of July, we have a solid starting to see generally starting to see a solid population of adult redfish in inside uh the lower lower pamico and the uh, noose river so the the mass numbers of them will will be in august and september uh they they can be caught all the way into november on the inside but as a whole as a general rule of thumb august and september they're going to be into spawn they'll spawn around the full moons on the uh on the deeper deeper hard bottom and rocks and in, in the sound and in the river then they'll start the, the adult redfish will start that cycle back they do their thing and come in do their thing and they'll start making their way back out uh, end of september beginning of october and generally by mid-October, end of October, probably, you know, the biggest portion of them made their way back to the ocean. And that's where you can start targeting them again on the ocean side. So it's pretty much a brief cycle of how our fish in this, in this area work. Um, we could go into a lot more detail on the, on the juvenile fish uh, and their life, their habits as they're smaller, but that's not the topic of it. So we'll stick with the adult red drum. And that's essentially how it works. Yeah, that makes sense. I like your decision to keep it focused on the adult red drum. I have a couple of questions that just sort of come to mind. So, of course, they're not looking at a calendar and going, it's August, you know, it's time to come in. And, you know, their arrival sort of ebbs and flows each year when you look at the calendar. Is it a certain water temperature? Is, it a, is there any variables that sort of kick that off other than just roughly that time of year every year? Uh, I think so. Uh, the rainfall and the the salinity levels may have a little bit of play on 
if it's a, if it's a really dry year, the bait might be doing better and be uh, have better populations, and they're gonna they're gonna follow bait, uh, and I'll get into that. But they they want to eat, so I think a drier year you might start seeing them in the river a little bit earlier. I can't say that the you know water temp, you know as soon as it hits. 74 degrees that it's going to be all like Donkey Kong or anything like that uh, in, in this fishery. But it, it just, I think, I think more, more often than not wind direction and, and, and uh, the amount of fresh water in our system plays more into it than water temp. All right. I have one more follow-up question and I think we're going to transition to how to find them. And I'm going to apologize in advance for this question because you are doing, in my mind, you're doing this podcast one, to serve the fishing community, just to help them out, be an ambassador of saltwater fishing too. Sure, man, you'd like someone to book you, and I think they should. I've been big red drum fishing with you, and it's one of my kids' favorite days of fishing to this date. But my question is, is like, man, there's a lot of water in the Pamlico Sound. There's a lot of water in the Noose River. There isn't that much water in the inlets. So if all, if a majority of these fish are coming through the inlets, then why is it so popular in the big water areas and not just trying to smack them all as they come through that more finite space of the inlet? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, in the fall when they start pushing out and, and this may be true where they're kind of slow, slowly coming in, in the spring and summer, making their way in. Uh, and I'm sure some of the guys that live down to Ocracoke and that way, probably do do some of this i've never done it but the surf fishermen really like to fall i think there's a, a higher concentration coming out at one time and okay. that that can make those you know epic surf bites and i think in the, in the early summer late summer whenever they start coming in it's more of a, a trickle okay no i follow that answer and i think i'll use that you know open water sort of segue into you know, your our second talking point is how to find them because there's a lot of water out there. I mean, there's also just unbelievable numbers of fish out there, too. I mean, that's one of the things that strikes me every time I'm fishing in that big water and there's just so many fish around. So what do you got for us, man? Like, you know, everyone wants to know where do I go to find them, man? Where do I go to find them? There, there's really no, you know, and that's what everybody looks for on these fish. And it's uh, it can be overwhelming looking at maps, getting out there and seeing all that water. If you're just learning how to try to target these fish and, uh, but there's no magic recipe where if you do this on this time and this, it's all going to come together. However, we've talked about it personally before it, once you retain this knowledge and try to pick up everything you can about these fish and spend as much time on the water as possible day in and day out, it boils down to confidence. That is probably, I, 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 whenever I do my, uh, you know, seminars with you and the other ones and stuff, I talk about confidence almost in every one because if you lack confidence, you're not, it's going to be hard to be successful, right? And uh, so take what you know. And so that would be one huge key ingredient. Uh, by confidence, um, I mean, we're, we're looking for signs of these fish. We're not, yeah, we want to find them and it's, crazy awesome when you do actually find the fish and visually see them day in and day out that's not how i'm making my living i'm finding signs of the fish okay so uh generally 
artificial lures, we want to find the calmer side. The bait guys, they love when it's blowed up and uh, there's white water rolling on the shoals or on the banks, whatever. But when we're trying to locate them, we want to try to fish the leeward side. All right. And when we're looking for these fish, and it doesn't matter where you start at, where you decide you want to go, when these fish are in our system, you could find them from a foot and a half of water in Carteret County all the way to a foot and a half of water in Pamico County to Craven County. It doesn't matter. These fish can be anywhere. So no matter where you leave from, you're, you're looking as soon as you get out there. I mean, your head's on the swivel. Don't go to point A to point B. You know, you're hunting all the time. Uh, birds, bird activity, birds feeding. One bird feeding hard uh, might turn you on to a, a good school of fish. Uh, the bait, a lot of life. I like to see life. Uh, if I'm not seeing life, it's hard for me to have my confidence, right? Whether it's, you know, 25 count shrimp, finger mullet, big mullet, you know, fat back, little nanny shad, anything. I want to see some kind of life and they'll feed on any, they'll feed on any of those from a 30 count shrimp to a three pound bluefish. They don't care. Fish are always in motion when they come in, in into uh, the river. They're more like you, if you know a lot about redfish in the marsh, tidal areas, whatever, you got to throw that stuff out the window. These fish act more like pelagic, pelagic fish and tunas when they're in our system than they do a redfish. Um, they're steady cruising. Most of the time they're in schools uh, and they are coming in there to spawn. However, they are swimming. I know Beckwith, you know, many years ago, they did the, the tracking studies on them and stuff. These fish will swim, you know, 25, 30 miles a day. Now that doesn't, you know, that they might not leave an area, but they're covering, they're constantly covering ground. So if you're 40 to 50 inches, 35 to 50 pound fish, whatever, you're burning a lot of calories, right? Moving around. So you have to feed. That's why what we do is so effective. So birds, bait, you know, that's, that's a, a pretty good start, right? So we want to find the calmest water possible. And uh, where I'm looking for slicks. The fish, they got, the redfish have pressure plates inside. And when they feed, especially on Menhaden, the oil emits from their mouths and will come to the surface. And will, there will actually be a legit oil slick on the surface. And the longer it's there, the more it grows. You start seeing a bunch of slicks popping up, man, they are there right then. Now, if you see some big ones, maybe like the size of your boat or stretch it out even a little bit longer, but you're seeing five, ten of them or whatever, I'm still going to fish that area. They might not be there. They might have already moved through, but, they, you know, it's a good starting place. Uh, like I said, they'll be anywhere from two to 25 foot of water. It doesn't matter. But when I'm looking for them, what you're going to want to do, and this is a mistake a lot of people have, because you have to cover ground, right? But fast boats don't catch fish. You slow down, barely up on plane or whatever. Everybody on the boat has their head on a swivel looking for these little keys. You might see one fish bust a mile away and go check it out. But if the Noose River has contour lines, right, where it go from six or eight feet down to 12, 13 feet, you don't want, and a lot of times that's a good area to find fish 
or to start looking for fish, they, they use them like travel corridors. But if you're, they fish are spooky, and I see it, it gets frustrating. You know, this is a very popular fishery, and uh, we're very, very fortunate to have it and uh, enjoy that people come from all over the world to fish with us. But, you know, a lot of people enjoy doing it on their own. And I'll cover more of this in, uh, you know, kind of the, the etiquette on the river later at the end. But do not you don't want to ride directly down that break line. You could be running fish off the whole time because they are very motor shy. Back to back with reading some of his studies from 20 years ago, they could tell that when a boat approached them, when they had a good track on a fish, say, you know, 200 meters away, they're, they're taking uh, radio tracking of it. When a boat would approach, that fish, would they could tell their signal getting weaker and weaker and weaker. That fish leaving. They're going to leave the area where these motor noises, where they're making motor noise at. So you got a shallower water boat, bay boat, flies boat, whatever, skiff. You get up there against the bank. You can run in two foot of water. Get and run in two foot of water and look and scan to the outside. If you're in a bigger boat looking, uh, you know, get out several hundred yards, quarter mile off that brake line and run parallel with it looking back in. Uh, so birds, bait, slicks, we want to cruise to, uh, you know, in the, in the right type of way to see what we're looking for. And don't write anything off. Just, I mean, you might not be seeing nothing, no life at all. And three or four little turns picking on glass minnows or something like that might be all it takes for you to go and go investigate, right? Next thing you know, dang, there's a big bait balls on my graph. Man, what's there's a couple big marks here. You know, that, that type of thing. Um, so that pretty much cover, you know, finding the fish. You want to go into more detail on that, Gary? You got any questions at this point? Yeah, man, I guess I, I guess I do. You know, I, I follow everything you said. I'm sure everyone watching, listening is following it too. I mean, is are there any type of patterns? Is there a time or conditions where they might be out more in the bigger water, the deeper water? Is there time conditions where they might be further up the river or just on the shallower, you know, more along the shorelines? I mean, you know, of course there's an exception to every rule, but are you have you gleaned any patterns in your time? Pursuing okay. this fish? So, and not, um, you know, uh, not to toot my own horn or anything like that at all, because I'm, I'm not that type of person. But like, at the beginning of last year, early August, there's a lot of guys who were struggling to find fish. And I haven't even talked about this yet because this is, but looking for Manhattan bait balls, there's like, Everybody thinks that's what you have to do to find these fish. Menhaden bait balls. Where's Menhaden? Where's Menhaden? Where's Menhaden? There's no Menhaden. There's no fish. We didn't start seeing good bait balls until, I want to say, the last week of August, almost into September last year, like good-sized Menhaden bait balls, which textbook stuff that you're looking for these fish feeding on. And that's – if people aren't seeing bait balls, they, they don't – and I don't want to generalize, but you see, I just see this a lot – and hear it a lot and talking to people. Couldn't find a bait, couldn't find a fish. So the beginning of last August, we found a lot of fish shallow, especially early in the morning. So 
early borings, the shallow up on the shoals and bars when there's not a ton of menhaden. They could be feeding on mullet, shrimp, flounders, whatever. When it's, it's a early morning, lower, lower, uh, lower temperatures, lower sunlight, right? Less boat traffic. The shallower the water, the more the noise spooks the fish. Early, early mornings, shallow water, I think, is uh, is a pretty good. A pretty good pattern for the shallow water stuff. But what I was getting at was when there was no menhaden and everybody's just riding around looking for that, I I did a lot of trout fishing. I'd have my clients fishing, catching trout, and I'm t watching all the time, scanning, looking while they're fishing. And that's, you know, these are most of these guys were wanting red, you know, the big red fish. But with the patterns that we were on, just cruising, looking for menhaden and, and, and fishing deeper wasn't cutting it. So we trout fished, and I would, even if we were catching fish, I'd pick up and move to another trout spot more often than I normally would if I was on a trout trip, right? Um, so I'm still covering ground, and I'm still scanning in shallow water all the time, and it, it paid off pretty good last, uh, you know, until things got, quote, unquote, right. Okay. And then, uh, no, man, I think that was a good conversation of where, so I, I, I think we're moving more into technique now. I think, I think the timing's right. Okay. So, uh, popping corks is probably 85, 90% of, um, my artificial fishing for, for the record, popping corks and popping flies right on the fly rod. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that. And then, also, uh, rattle traps, swim baits, top water form. So, starting with the popping corks, uh, as opposed to fishing for slot fish and trout, where we're trying to make our cork primarily sound like bait skipping across the water, my corks, I want, I tell my guys that I'm trying to sound like another big drum feeding on the surface. I'm trying to call these fish, and you are not going to scare them with the cork. Most of the time, there is caveat to that, where if you're in two, three foot of water, four foot of water, super slick, calm, we will tone our corks back a little bit. But in theory, we want one or two loud pops. I, and this comes down to, uh, you know, what you have confidence in as well. Uh, I know that some guys have confidence in a steady motion with the cork. I like a long. I like a single long pause. Gary likes two po two pops and then a pause. So I'm going to use big con uh, like a, the big concave corks, right? When I when I think of a popping cork, I think of three main types of corks, right? You got the little cigar style uh, trout cork, trout style cork, little kind of shaped like a little cigar. Then you got the egg cork. Right, it's a little bit bigger, but primarily for the trout and the, the puppy drum and shallow water. And then you got the ones that are shaped like a uh, traffic cone or concave. I like a big flathead cork, uh, approximately, and I change it up, but let's say 18 to 30 inches of 
30 to 50 pound mono or fluoro leader down to a quarter ounce um, jig head with a swim bait or a soft plastic bait on it, right? Uh, the DOA airheads make a good bait. They've got a good profile for the menhaden. It matches menhaden well. Catch a lot of fish on four and five inch jerk shads, uh, paddle tails, um, even even shrimp, soft plastic shrimp patterns. But uh, the the plastic, the soft plastics, does not have to be giant. Even though we're fishing for these big fish, we catch a lot of fish on four-inch jerk sheds on these corks out in 15 foot of water. So we got big flat cork. We got a 18 to 30 inch leader, whatever you're comfortable with. Sometimes when the bite is a little bit tougher and I'm using a longer pause, I like a longer leader. Uh, if I know I'm going to probably be fishing shallow, I'm going to maybe shorten my leader up a little bit. Uh, a really strong hook. I, I like the Z-Man headlocks, uh, quarter ounce jig head, and uh, and whatever your favorite soft plastic is. Color generally doesn't matter on your soft plastics. Uh, sometimes it seems like it does, some, but most of the time you can't go wrong with white or chartreuse, red and white, uh, black and gold, something with gold flake in it, you know, those types of uh, generally, you know, is all it, all it takes. Whatever your confidence is, fish that, you'll catch more fish. Uh, now, how we fish the cork, I'm going to tell you if I'm drifting an area and we're not seeing anything, but I've, I have my confidence that there's fish in the area, I'm going to tell my guys, make long cast. You're going to make long cast. We're going to keep our slack up as we're drifting. Generally, we're going to try to cast down. I try to cast down drift if, if, if the wind is pushing us or, you know, if we do have some current in the river and it's pushing us at a pretty good pace, I want to cast down current. Now, with that being said, I've told guys that, you know, this can be a, this can be a grind, right? It can be hard. We're fishing for trophy fish. It's like hunting a big buck. You got to be patient. So some people will get tired and they just kind of drag their cork behind and pop it. And I'm always, you know, trying to get people motivated to fish hard. You know, you got to put the time in this and that. But I can remember a handful of fish that had been caught with the guy sitting down, you know, just kind of halfway popping it. So, yeah, whatever I say, it's probably going to be the opposite. But anyways, I want long cast downwind long pause right i'm looking for an eight to ten second pause as a starting point if we're not getting bites and i really feel like we should be getting bites i might tell one guy speed it up to five second pause might tell it one other guy slow down to a 12 second pause whatever and that that pause can really make a difference i've seen it make a difference a lot of a lot of days and uh they'll come from a long ways away they'll eat that bait <coughs> as excuse me uh, as it's sitting still so that long paw and it's hard to get people to have the confidence in this method until they see that cork go bloop one time. Uh, so once they see that, oh, he ate it while I was sitting still. And I'm like, yeah. So long pause. When the cork goes down, what I tell my guy, if you try to set the hook on the cork going down, you can miss these fish. Okay. Cork goes down. You lift rod like Bill Dance. Well, I felt him for a second, but he ain't there. 
I've, I've run a really tight drag. I fish 5,000s <clears throat> on my Florida fishing products. Um, a seven foot TFO medium heavies is my primary cork rods, 30 pound braid. Tighten it. I've, I've got my drag where it, it just about cuts me to pull it off the reel by hand. Okay, so when that cork goes down, I just tell my guys to reel tight on it. Come tight on it. And once you feel that fish start taking drag and you've got them, if, if you feel more comfortable giving a little jab with the rod to try to, you know, get the hook. But more likely the hook's already in there, but if it makes you feel better, you can try to, you know, give them a hook set at that point. Then it's – then you're on. So – and I don't trust my memory anymore, but I guess I am because I'm going to ask you a question. My memory tells me that when we were on your boat and we're getting ready to start, and again, you had my two kids, so they needed instruction. And I always like to hear what you guys have to say, like to hear the technique. But you spent a fair amount of time telling them exactly how to get, do the popping cork to get that deeper sound or that bigger sound that mocks more of a red drum than just a skip and bait. So what were... Am I remember correctly? What are the instructions you give you guys to get the most out of each pop? Okay, so with the big corks, once you know, once we cast, close the bell, come up with the slack. If somebody that's bigger in stature, other than a kid or a small person or whatever, you want to use that arm to really snap snap it you don't want to drag the, there's a fine line you don't want to drag the cork right you just drag you can drag it and it's really not doing much at that point but a snap with that arm and you can really get an explosive sound out of it if if uh like my son buddy you know when he's getting started he really tucked that the rod up under him like this and can actually you can use your your hips and your arm at the same time to really get that sound right, uh, I think that's what you uh, what you're after on that. Yeah, man, that answers it. And then you're having if you know you got a couple guys on the boat. It's like a it's like a they're heading their way downwind, but it's a fan cast. I mean, you're trying to cover as much water as possible as you're doing that with multiple anglers yeah. on the boat. In in perfect world where we just got a light wind and we're, I've got I can position the boat you know at a nice where I'm drifting uh, perpendicular to my drift right uh, and if I got three guys I'm gonna put one off the bow he he can catch long ways off the bow can put one on you know one side of the boat or the other casting downwind very you know perpendicular off the boat and one guy off the back casting off the motor. And so you 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 can cast that way. If you've only got two guys, you know, uh, if if you're fishing by yourself, and I don't and drifting an area actually drifting instead of if you're not really keyed in on uh, one specific area, whether it be uh, a drop off or bait piled up or whatever. I don't know if fan casting is super necessary. Yeah, you might make a, bunch, a couple casts one way and then throw a couple casts the other way. But as for like specifically fan casting out is not uh, super important because we're we're calling these fish in right with that sound. So um, more often than not, if there's you know um, an aggressive fish willing to feed in the area and you're casting off this 
starboard side and he's on the bow, you know, 60, 70 foot away, maybe he'll, uh, he'll probably still come and feed on that bait. And this is, you know, use the analogy of hunting. And so I guess even on the boat, are we worried about how quiet we are? I mean, is it problematic for me to run my mouth, you know, just to pass the time or like how stealth would you like it if you could pick it? Well, when when you're on a boat, you got to keep your mouth quiet, Gary. But <laughs> other than that, I think, I think talk is okay, but we definitely want to avoid slamming, you know, the ice chest lid and uh, jumping off the casting deck down into the, you know, into the boat. We want to keep those sounds, the, those noise to a minimum. And it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, music blurring, probably not a good thing. Uh, that definitely want to keep that down and again to reiterate the shallower you are not that it's not important in 20 foot but it's more important in two foot okay so um what was i getting ready to ask oh i know i was going to say because it was our next point man so you know you told us not to build dance it like feel some weight if you feel better set the hook and so i i know i know you put this on here because you care about these fish it's one of the things i love about all the pamlico anglers that target the big red drum passionate about fishing passionate about the fish so I definitely want to give you the stage to talk about proper fish handling. All right, yeah. So uh, we'll start at the hookup for the, for the fish handling. So we'll you get to eat whether it's on you know the cork, swim bait, top water, whatever. We we're going to run a tight drag and thirty pound line, even on these medium heavies uh, that we're fishing and four and five thousands reel. Most of these fish are landed in seven to 10 minutes, okay? So when these fish are here, our water temp is really hot. The sun's normally up. Uh, we can catch these fish in the middle of the day. It might be 100 degrees, water temp's freaking 80, whatever, and just hot. We want to put as much pressure on them as possible. Running a loose drag, targeting them on purpose, on extremely light tackle, even on our fly rods, we're fishing the 10, 11 weights and good quality reels. We're landing these fish in under 10 minutes. A lot of these fish, I've got some really good anglers that fish with me and can really put heat on them. And they're landing them on spinning, spinning gear in four to six minutes. So even though they're gonna make an initial really impressive run most of the time, they'll make one long run, working back in to make a couple shorter runs and getting around the boat once you get around a boat and they they really start bulldogging and stuff around the boat you have to be able to put pressure on them and get them in the net so you can get them unhooked revived back in quickly if we start <clears throat> whatever if we start reaching 12 13 minutes hooked up with these fish if we accidentally caught one while we're you know throwing top orders on the bank on 2500 or whatever we start reaching that, you know, 12, 13, 14 minute mark. You really need to think about pride. And it's, I don't know from a biological standpoint if it's the right thing to do or not, but this is what I do is we'll break that fish off. I'm, I mean, if it, if he's still way out there and you can't gain on your angler or whatever tackle you have accidentally hooked him on, it's, it's not good for these fish to, to uh, exert that much energy for that amount of time in the warmer water. So no matter how long it takes, whether it be seven minutes or 12 minutes, we're gonna get the fish in the net. What I try to do 
is uh, get the fish in the net, have my angler get in their position to where we're going to take the picture at, um, set the rod down, open the bale, whatever. I actually will hold the fish in the net, try to unhook my bait in the water. Okay. If, if the fish is, uh, looks like he's, uh, you know, pretty tired. I might even hold, keep him in the water in the net and, and try to revive him briefly in the net before I even bring him in the boat bring them in the boat in the net if you don't use a net you uh you know grab them by the mouth and support his belly you want to support their weight uh, from from my understanding talking to uh, a lot of biologists and and people that know a lot about these fish more so than i do in that aspect they're they're so large and their internals are so big that holding them vertically is not healthy for them for one they're designed to be horizontal in the water right where uh, the gravity affects them left so holding them vertically by the gills is 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 probably not a good thing for these fish so i i two-hand my net he's in it i set my net down if i wasn't able to get the hook out i go ahead and pop the hook out then hand them to my angler have them support him uh, if they can't hold them up with two hands then we'll set them on their lap get their picture maybe a quick measurement I'm taking the fish from them, and I'm going to personally revive. Generally, I'm going to be the one to revive them, where um, set them in the water horizontally, one hand under the belly, one hand around the base of his tail, and I'm going to get them in a sweeping motion, side to side. And I want them want them to swim side to side. They're not going to they're not going to breathe good and get much uh, water flow going through their gills when you're pushing them forward and back, right? So we want them to get them in that swinging motion, swimming motion while holding the base of their tail. Now they're heavy. You're going to have to get down and might have to support their belly a little bit. This can take several minutes to, uh, to get them where he'll take off on his own. It might, you know, he might make two swims while you hold them and you can't hold them no more and he takes off. When you can't hold him no more and he takes off on his own, he's ready to go and he's good to go. Right on. Um, you wearing gloves? Uh, should, yeah. If, you, if okay. you handle the fish much, you know, you'll get sore in inside your hand there. And, um, yeah, it's, it'd be smart to wear gloves for sure. And, you know, uh, another thing that I'm bad about too, even you know, this taking stuff from like the mountain fly guys, uh, and it's probably more so for those days, the less that we can actually make contact with their skin, the, with their slime and scales and stuff, probably better off. But these fish, uh, I don't think the redfish, the way their scales are designed, is going to hurt too bad for us making contact with them with dry hands. Okay. And then uh, I know you want to talk about fish etiquette. I mean, you want people to be cool out there. In my mind, People want to be cool out there, you know, and sometimes it's just an error of ignorance. They just, and not ignorance in the nasty way, but just they don't know any better. So we all want to be smart. We all want to get around, get along out there. We all want to help each other catch fish, not work against each other. So what do you got for me in the category of fish etiquette? Yeah. And uh, real quick, I forgot something that I said I was going to talk about and I've totally skipped over. So if we're going longer than what you want, I'm sorry. <laughs> but okay. Corks, 90% of the time, at least we're fishing those. But I'm going to carry uh, a, just a plain swim bait or a 
rattle trap or top water tied on several rods. I probably have three extra rods uh, to everything else because there is times, and if you fish long enough, hopefully you'll be blessed to see this because it's an incredible sight. When they're actually, you got so many fish feeding so hard, when you hook one up on a cork, the other fish are eating the cork before you can land them and you're, and you're breaking off your fish, right? So, I've, you know, time, lots of times seen it where every cork rod on the boat, for whatever reason, if we didn't have something rigged up, if we were trout fishing, we're limited on space and had to leave some rods at home, uh, every big drum cork rod was broke, breaking off because we were having so many fish around us. That's when you want to have on the ready a bucktail rod a, a big swim bait rod uh or a big top well, that's your time if you want to catch them on a big top water popper that's your time to do it so that's why it's really important there's other situations and scenarios that you can fish that stuff without the cork but that's the that's the number one reason why you want to carry something without a cork so now getting into fish etiquette and then even backing up into where i was saying where you know um, a lot of people kind of have the idea that they want to look down the brake line when they're hunting for these fish. Staying off the brake line is important. Uh, even, even if you're done fishing and you're going home or whatever, and there's a couple boats down the brake line and they're, man, go one way or the other, you know, several hundred yards, half a mile around and maybe, and go wide, give it, give a wide berth because they might be on fish right there, right? So, giving other anglers a wide berth is 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 a very good gesture. If there's one boat or fifteen boats in an area that are fishing, and you're, you know, oh, there's got to be fish there. Coming flying in to check out what's happening on the big motor. Is not going to make you marry very many friends. And, you know, after 40, 50 days of this and 100 degree heat or whatever, you might get some words thrown at you. Uh, so the proper way that we want to approach that situation is figure out which way the wind and drift is, right? And idle upwind, up current, cut big motor off and troll the motor in, you know, a couple hundred yards and then start your drift. It's, it's going to make, uh, well, for one, you're, you're going to hurt yourself if you just try to idle in and in a good situation because you're liable to turn it off, turn the bite off, move the fish, leave, you know, shut them down for 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever, because they will do that. And so that that's probably, you know, running up too close to other people fishing on the big motor is probably one of the most important things that you can do in this fishery uh, to help yourself and to help others and to keep, you know, from any kind of confrontations out there. Um, trying to think. That's, that's probably the main thing is, is just use your trolling motor. Use your trolling motor. And well, this is another thing too. And I think about it cause I'm out there all the time. And I guess a lot of people probably don't think about it. If I am just traveling and moving, and I see a couple boats working in an area and I'm planning on going by, I'm like already in my head, like trying to figure out which way they're drifting. So if I do have to, whatever reason, you know, have to get closer to them than what I'd really like, I'll, I'll go on the up, go on the updrift side of them. If 
it's nothing frustrating, more frustrating where you find bait and you, you know, maybe seen a couple fish busts and you're, you just start to get ready to make your drift down through a nice section. Uh, and a boat comes, as soon as you get set up, a boat comes flying through, you know, less than a hundred yards down drift of you. And, you know, that spot shot more likely. So Andy, I think you told us basically, October and September, certainly it could, could start earlier, it could go later, but August and September is the main two months. And where is it that you meet most of your clients for these big red drum trips? So I leave uh, out of Seagate in Beaufort, uh, that area, or I can I pick a lot of my clients up on the Oriental side as well. So uh, either, either side of the river on the, the lower part of the river is where I'm fishing out of there's occasionally we'll fish out of different areas but for the most part we're, we're leaving either out of adams creek or oriental and then any last thoughts about these big red drum anything that you've learned that's impressed you that's surprised you about these big fish as you continue to sort of study them and and try to figure them out even more i just I me mean, about the time you think you got something figured out they'll show you something else crazy <laughs> and it, just all I could say is, you know, learn as much about the area, them as possible. Use your confidence and think outside the box. Yeah, don't don't get pinned down. Look, this is another thing that I forgot to cover. Huh. They travel day to day. If you hear of a good bite at Dawson's Creek or whatever, yesterday, that's where you know maybe the tackle shop posted or told everybody that walked in there there was a good bite here yesterday that's where 100 boats are going to go on saturday if it's pretty and then fish might still be there might still be a good bite it's going to be harder because there's a lot of boats there but more times than not i'm having to find these fish every every single day you might get two or three days where there's a, a pattern and then all of a sudden they might be 10 miles away for the next good bite so go out hunting every day do not just go yeah if you hear them a good bite it's probably worth checking out but don't be stuck on that be be willing to ride and look okay man i think it's sage advice to end on man andy appreciate you taking the time to talk to us you know and uh you know again looking looking forward to talking to you again looking forward to fishing with you again i appreciate it gary thanks a lot man you have a good night you too billy all right gary back at it man wow that was a ton, a ton of information. Super good. And um, <clears throat> I guess you want some of my takeaways. Is that what you want? I do. This is a special fishery. This <laughs> big red drum fishery here in North Carolina is a special fishery. It should be a bucket list trip for everyone listening to this podcast. And, yes, yeah, so I am looking for a special Billy's yeah. Best Takeaway to match this special fishery. Uh, I don't know if it's too special, but a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of things – uh, fast boats don't catch fish, right? Because I'm like, that's a pretty good, you know, that's pretty good. So you know, because bass fishing, you go as fast as you can, and then uh, and then you can't you can't set the hook like Bill Dance, which I is one of my favorite things. <laughs> but, no, you can't. I know, dude. It's one of my hardest things about uh, fishing around here. Is like I can't just rip the face off of them, but whatever. And he's right. I mean, you know. You might be doubting it, and then once you see one big court go under and the hole in the water open up and then the drag starts screaming, you're like, all right, like, this is real, man. I am really big red drum fishing. You know, it, it can be hard to imagine at first, 
But it is a it is a rush, man. Again, I, it's something. Not, it's an annual for me. I look forward to it every year. Yeah, I don't know if I've caught one of those big ones on a on a uh, cork before. I, I know I've caught them like bait fishing, well, but it, uh, clearly you haven't because you would remember it. You I... wouldn't say, "I don't know if I have or not." You would have remembered. So I'm gonna answer. Hey, you know what, Gary? I catch big reds all day, yeah. every day. I yeah, can't I remember. You You're know? pro. <laughs> I'm pro. You're pro. <laughs> Look, I'm sponsored by Marine Warehouse. I'm so pro. Marine Warehouse, we love those guys. <laughs> They're the best sales, service, apparel. Go get yours. Support them. Uh, not only here in Wilmington, North Carolina, but also in Charleston area. That's well. right, because this podcast is out there. And so we've got a lot of Charleston area fans as well as uh, North Carolina area fans. Yeah, man. Actually, we have fans all over the world, Gary. I, I figured it up. We were in over 35 countries last year. Is so that, is that a real cool. number? That's a real number. That's not blowing smoke. That's a, that's a, that's a real number. That's a, that was crazy. Just like part that. of Just part of the stats, whatever. No big deal. <laughs> well then let's leave on that Billy alright man we'll see you in the next episode thank you Fisherman's-